from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Here we go. Welcome to the Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Fourteen. Today I have a very special guest. He's my second interview, although you'll be hearing this first. So everything's out of sync, but it's nice to have him help me get back into the sync of things. I, uh, you know, just because I've been so out of practice. In fact, I just said sync of things, just to give you an idea of how fucking out of practice I am. But today, I think it's interesting that I get to speak to someone who I never thought I'd get the opportunity to. Because I never thought that something like this was really going to be attempted at the degree that it's attempted, at least if I believe the hype and the propaganda of your own page, sir. We're going to talk about that shortly. Today my guest is Evan Clark. He's executive director of Atheist United. And the best way I can seem to describe it is that you're trying to take a really hands-on approach to atheism where it's been very much a keyboard warrior kind of thing. And now you're saying, let's go out there. And let's actually try to create communities. Let's try to, you know, get some real action going. Is that a fair assessment of what Atheist United is really all about? Yeah, I, I think the best way to frame it might be shifting from conversations of atheism to questions of what are the needs of atheists. Um, and we can look at atheists in much larger, broader, beautiful ways and the needs that they have and the communities they might develop and the political issues they might organize around, uh, I think is a much more expansive question than what's your position on God, which I answered a long time ago and I get pretty bored with kind of quick these days. I think it's kind of, the well, it's the first part, first phase, right? Because a lot of people have to come to atheism, you know, they get out of religion and all of a sudden they're just like, oh shit, what the hell is going on? Then, they, then you go through like, I feel betrayed, some people get angry. They might sort of take it out on, on religion. But after a while, you know, the anger sort of like fades and, and maybe or you never had it to begin with. And instead, you're just like, well, I miss the community elements that I had at my church. And that's one of the things that still most recent studies are showing that uh, the nuns really say that they're lacking community and attachment. Is this an attempt to try to, to, to plug that little hole there? Yeah, and, and we're not the first to do it. We're definitely not going to be the last. I mean, there's over 200 atheist, humanist, secular communities developing across the United States today. We're finding them in other countries around the world. And they're not all just sitting around philosophizing. Um, I, I do think you hit upon an important need that a lot of our communities address, and I think most first organize around, which is what we call recovering from religion. Uh, if you grew up in a religious tradition, especially a conservative religious tradition, if you have religious trauma, if you were abused, if you were told for 30 years that ghosts are real, basically, the way people talk about God— and you gave money to that organization, and then when you left, you were treated terribly, you lost a network, you lost the place you used to volunteer, you used to give money, you were raising your kids in. Like, This is a massive transition people make in life, and uh, I think we have to address the trauma needs that come from people who are coming out of these high control groups and intense religious traditions, first and foremost, because religious people can't help you with religious trauma. Only atheists can facilitate that discussion. You need to be in a safe space with other non-religious people to 
address what you went through. And then second, I think you're also noting that there are people who are now second or third or fourth generation non-theists. And I think asking them what their vision of a secular community might be looks and sounds very different, but it still exists. Uh, You know, it could be a soccer team or a chess club. But it also could mean a group of people that I can politically organize with and volunteer with where I never have any expectation of religious privilege, religious dialogue, religious pressure that I think a lot of us still deal with even in like a New York City or Los Angeles when I'm trying to just help refugees or help people with homelessness. Um, the institutions of our society are still so religiously intertwined and theist normativity exists in so many spaces that to just be yourself, which you've never even had to think about if you're third generation atheist a lot of the time, um, is a challenge. And so suddenly the need for these organizations and these institutions becomes politically valuable, socially valuable. And the studies are kind of overwhelming that if you want to live a happier life, a longer life, if you want to donate more or participate more in uh, charity or, or uh, social good works, you have to join communities. You have to be around other human beings. And until we recreate third spaces in our society, until we have good, awesome, secular options that you feel confident that you can raise your kids in or who will visit you in the hospital when you're sick, I think we're always going to be creating some level of what has traditionally looked like a religious institution. Well, you mentioned the word po- political organization, which I think is a, is a topic I've covered before in one of my articles where I said, look, we're th- the nuns are 28 to 30%, depending on how you want to call it, of the population, which is now above the evangelical population in the U.S. The thing is, no one is coveting that vote. That just gets lost. Nobody cares. There's no activity. No political will comes from there, even though it is now a huge political, potentially put political strength. Meanwhile, none of our issues are being addressed. So when you mention po- like politics, which again in the U.S. is a very contentious issue, what do you envisage that really means on the sort of like at the beginning levels? What does it mean to get politically organized as a, as a group of atheists? This is a great question. And I think there's hundreds of people trying to figure this out right now, probably less than 100. Uh, not many people still are, <laughs> yeah. are paid to do this work. We just haven't figured out how to fund it yet. But... Uh, it's amazing how many thousands of year head start, right, religion had. Um, but I think we have to recognize the differences that come from our beliefs and how we organize our communities, right? Especially authoritarian belief traditions, right? Groups that say they are the only solution and that there is only, you know, certain people who can lead our community and to disagree with us or be anything other than loyal is bad which is on the more conservative end of the political spectrum versus the opposite, which is we celebrate freedom to a radical extent. Your opinion and your ability to organize a separate group is cherished rather than uh, denied makes organizing a progressive coalition much harder to some extent. But that's a feature, not a bug. That That is what comes from people celebrating difference and – uh, and and actually centering freedom in how they organize. Um, with that said, you know we need to look at this systemically. And systemically, religions have built powerful political institutions that support their work. There are literally groups that have been working to change the Supreme Court for 
40 years now, and they're succeeding finally. It took them 30 or 40 years to get presidents in office and then to have those presidents listen to them when they were appointing judges to the Supreme Court. But that work has paid off even while they've been a minority uh, for much of American history. And so while the nuns also are the largest religious demographic, if we separate Protestants and Catholics, uh, we aren't monolithic in how we organize and how we communicate either. We don't have radio shows with a million people listening every Sunday. We don't have mega churches. You know, the, the institutions we currently have in place to communicate our political messages and organize our groups of people uh, aren't funded, don't exist at the same level. And even if we had the funding, we would have to go about it differently because we can't use authority and loyalty as the persuasion technique for why you should mobilize around our institutions to do that. So we have really great separation of church and state advocacy organizations. We have really good uh, atheist human rights organizations. We find that polling data on the nuns shows that they actually agree on certain issues at stronger levels, like the coalition is possibly stronger on issues of support for science, support for reproductive justice, support for public secular education, than even the religious right on some of their issues. Um, but mobilizing them will take community organizers. It will take lawyers and lobbyists at levels we've never seen before. It will take hundreds of millions of dollars. And we don't have the same billionaires backing our cause, possibly because there's a lot, a lot of stigma still to being an atheist and a humanist politically. Um, the way that the Coors family help fund the religious right when they didn't like interracial marriage back in the 50s. You know, that was hundreds of millions of dollars that got pumped into the religious right for political reasons that we haven't seen in secular organizing yet. Well, you, you're also having to contend with the fact that a lot of people are leaving institutions and are themselves traumatized by those same institutions. Now you're saying, hey, come on in. We won't be yes. like those guys. This right? How are you addressing that problem like that messaging. I, and I, I think we need to address it head on. Uh, I think a lot of our organizations are just like, oh, well, we're hurting cats and no one can hurt cats. And I'm always like, no, address that they're cats. And how do you herd cats? You feed them. You figure out what their needs are and you put the food in front of them. Um, we have human needs and we have social and societal and political needs that come from being an atheist in our society. So Religious privilege continues, and you will always be second class until we mobilize to change that. We are in coalition with other groups that care about pluralism, and our actual fight is probably with totalitarian groups, not uh, theist groups, right? There are churches that agree with science and reproductive justice as much as we do, and we need to be working with them politically. Um, we need to uh, see our work as multi-generational in a way that the religious right has, right? The, the idea that you can just make secular public schools 100 years ago and then just walk away and be done with that fight obviously doesn't work. The religious right is organizing at public school levels and state levels right now to try to destroy public education so that they can have ownership over the space that youth gather again. And I, I think people will connect with us um, – and addressing, like, I think the biggest elephant in the room, which is you, most of us have religious trauma. Like, we have to 
we have to first address the religious trauma before you can do almost anything else. Uh, and we need to build safe spaces to do that. We need to have trained facilitators that can help with that. Like Recovering from Religion is this weird national organization that got created 15 years ago that I don't think we talk enough about the need that they're addressing and the tools they've created to address it are endlessly socially valuable. I actually met a an FBI like homeland security type like trying to stop hate group thing. He was at a it was a really cool former KKK speaker turned like uh Jewish uh, anti-Semit- fighting anti-Semitism activist and he gave this great presentation to an interfaith audience and then afterwards the FBI group had this little interfaith gathering and I happened to join the room and they were talking about like how we help people come out of white supremacist groups and all I could think of was recovering from religion created the whole toolbox for helping people come out of high control groups and cults and religions 15 years ago Right. Like we actually are the first community in the country possibly to develop the tools to help people find community again, find identity again, address the trauma they faced and try to turn their life into a productive use rather than a destructive use from the cult that they came from. And like this is applicable now to white supremacy, to you know, other groups that uh, push hate in our society. Well, the, you, you know, you mentioned um, that there's the kind of like tra- trauma, emotional side. I actually think the part that's missing the most that I haven't seen around is the legal side. Like, for instance, in the first interview I did with a woman named Michelle Camp, she just got out of a, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago out of a cult. Now, that cult maybe had 200 members, not really well known. And the, my whole approach is like to coming back in, into the scene was like, I don't want to talk about the stuff everybody else is talking about. Yeah. Because... One, I was never, I'm, I'm not chasing views and I'm not controlled by an algorithm. I'm controlled by the actual issues in yeah. the, the, the atheist community. So for me, one of the big issues that I have is like, we need to be able to have armies of lawyers yes. to go after these scumbags using RICO laws um, and things like that. And maybe the beginning for us is just getting, uh, you know, volunteers for making depositions and things like that so we can create. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, so we can weaponize something that's the only real way to take these people down, which is the, the legal system in the United States. And I think that's the kind of missing piece where we'd start to be able to really make some news of saying, like, we went after this cult leader and we got back people their money, their life savings and things like that. Really demonstrating the fact that, you know, and showcasing that we're probably some of the few people that understand how these work yeah um and 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 you know where everybody else is like oh it's just religion we want to want we we don't (laughs) want to touch it with a 10-foot pole you know how that is yeah well and i will yes and that uh we could use a hundred thousand more lawyers and lobbyists in this space that could be protecting us and fighting for uh, a more secular pluralistic world that holds religion accountable um With that said, the largest secular organization in America today is Freedom From Religion Foundation. They have, you know, over a dozen lawyers that work for them. They're they're sending letters every week to schools and district attorneys across the United States addressing separation of church and state issues and religious abuse issues. But what I I find is we need to be thinking more holistically about how to build a political social movement. And that is 
extremely multifaceted. If, if you look at the success of the religious right, it wasn't just community organizing or it wasn't just media. It wasn't just lobbying and it wasn't just their lawyers, right? Like you have to think about moving all of these at the same time. Like I think there aren't enough people in the media space that are talking about atheist human rights and minority religion abuses. I think there's lots of theism versus atheism dialogue, and it's a great way to get lots of clicks, but there's endless opportunity for more media from the secular perspective. We're still not seen nationally by a lot of uh, major corporations like in Hollywood, for instance. Um, I definitely don't think – we have like three or four lobbyists in the United States for the whole secular community, the, the largest religious demographic. You know, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists combined, there's more atheists of, right? Like in the in the military, we have – one in three to one in two young people that are joining the military these days do not identify as religious, and there is zero humanist chaplains for the entire military, right? Like you get into a crisis, you need to talk to somebody, and it's just below mental health crisis. You have nobody that can speak your language, that can address some needs you might have. Uh, so I, I agree we need more of everything. Um, but what I do want to argue for, what I think has been radically underinvested in is a level of grassroots organizing that I think sustains a whole social movement. I think we need to have hundreds, if not thousands of people at every city across the United States, because we're not going to win every fight. And you need to be able to gather back at a group of people, regroup, deal with that loss, and then get excited about the next fight. We also need people on the ground that can find the issues we're facing with that we can pass up to the lawyers at the national or state level. We we have to be, I think, in every corner of society and be fighting in every corner of society. And right now, because we have such limited resources, most of the organizations that exist have only been able to hire lawyers and lobbyists the past 30 years. Um, and most of those national organizations that we can think of that do have staff they actually hired most of that staff in the past 10 years. Like American Atheist was a teeny organization 15 years ago. American Humanist Association was a teeny organization maybe with one or two staff just like 20 years ago. Like we're actually just hitting our first stride um, of enough funding to hold professional staff, let alone we don't have the funds to bring in top professional staff where we start recruiting from other social movements. But what I, where I'm working, which is in Los Angeles and California – you know, the question is, how do I get – like, there's more people in L.A. County than 40-some-odd states. You know, like, I, I, there's more people in, mm. in California than Canada. And, like, if I could just mobilize just, like, 0.01% here of even non-theists in the state, right? Like, there are 3 to 30 million atheists across the United States. And, like, getting – just a few more of them mobilized is that much more money that might go to our organizations is that many more volunteers that might help with our projects is is inspiring the 20 year old that might become the lawyer that you want to hire for these cases and right now i think the pipeline's weak because we don't have a strong grassroots movement i think that i mean you you're using fancy words to avoid the elephant in the room which is Money and money. Trust oh, me, oh, oh, yeah. Let's address it. I have it. been fucking dealing with atheists for twenty years. <laughs> I got to tell you, they are penny pinching motherfuckers. When you look Absolutely. at the average salary of an atheist, it is way higher than the fucking yes. average. And yes. then, meanwhile, they're just like, well, I don't know. And I'm going to be honest; they had plenty of reason of thinking that because in the early days, yeah. we just didn't have the professionalism. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it was a fucking gong show. I remember one of the earliest 
atheist conferences. I'm talking to the organizer because I was supposed to do a talk, right? And I am not joking when I say, he said, excuse me, while a phone call, he was getting a phone call. He turned around and he let out the biggest fucking fart you ever heard in your life. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, this is some fucking rickety dickety shit here we got going yeah. on. And like, it's going to take and, a while for us to be taken money, seriously. And I, I actually want to throw it on the gauntlet. I think money is the only true solution to that. Like, I think uh, to sustain good staff, to recruit good staff, to actually have people you can count on a year from now or two years from now, they can't be volunteers. I think we have to get to the point where we are hiring full time people who are committing years or decades to this that can learn from other people that are working in network and coalitions with other organizations. Um, and that's still f- new. I mean, again, my job at Atheist United, I'm uh, one of the only full-time paid atheists in the world. And I'm, I think one of the only <laughs> at the state level. Well, it took 20 the- years. I know. And, and I'm one of the only at the local level, right? Most of them are work in Washington, D.C., or they work for Freedom From Religion Foundation or charity organizations, right? Like an actual organizer of a community, we're still in the frontier stage. We're still like trying to figure out what this works. I remember when I took the job, I had zero resources to turn to. I was like, oh, I'm going to go find some books on community organizing. Well, they're all church planning books that say just pray to God and you'll have a great community. Like I had, I had no mentors to turn to. Like I'm going to be the mentor for whoever gets to take jobs like this after me. But that wouldn't be possible unless somebody found the money to make me do this full time. Um, and I had to volunteer for about 12 years to be in a position to where I could take a job like this that I always dreamed of back when I was in college. So I 100% know everyone is a penny-pinching bastard, but I, there's two sides to this. So one is we have to do a better job as leaders in this space of communicating the value that we are offering, that our institutions are offering, that staff can offer. I think I, I have a bit more of a marketing background than most people in this space. I think we come from like philosophy and logic and education, and we're really good about speaking about certain ideas, but we have to sell. Uh, we have to connect the value, the long-term value of what it looks to organize a community in a city for many years. So people don't understand, uh, donors especially sometimes don't understand like why I'm spending most of our money throwing parties in Los Angeles and doing camping trips and doing these social events. And if you talk to me about it, it's not because I care about atheists eating cake together. Like it is because if you want a grassroots group of people who can go to Sacramento and fight for a bill, they have to know each other. They have to be networked. They have to be on a list somewhere so we can mobilize them. Like this is all part of a political movement. You have to have your social community groups. You also need places where people can regroup when you lose, right? Like the Supreme Court, we're going to get our ass kicked for the next 20 years. Uh, There is – I think the legal strategies are screwed in the short term. Like we have to be looking to other models for how to fight because unlike the 30 years that came before it, we can't guarantee that we're going to win most of the fights that we use the legal system for. The First Amendment is going to get absolutely destroyed under this current Supreme Court. But state legislation, school boards, right, like reforming, getting hospitals – uh, secularizing hospitals and the healthcare system, like we can have a radical impact on millions of people's lives while fighting as secular activists, while we work on the Supreme Court in the background, um, and get, getting people excited by that value by connecting the dots for them. I mean, 
it's not an easy challenge. We don't have the marketing firms that can consult us on this. We can't afford them, but we, we got to step up and figure it out. Buddy, we're at the point where in Germany, they take money from your taxes to give to the church because the Nazis told them to fucking do it. And somehow that never got out of the books. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Hitler <laughs> organized that, but I'm, I'm, it's legal. It's fine. You have, to, you have to petition to get your fucking name out of that shit. And it's the same in a lot of different places. So we were facing an enemy with trillions of dollars. Uh, and we have what? Right. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I met a, I met a guy at this really dumb, uh, like marketing conference. Somebody got me a free ticket. It was in Long Beach. And these are like, <laughs> like the people working for PayPal selling bullshit all the time. Um, but I met some guy who worked for Google X, which is their like long shot project thing. And so I like flipped into my donor mindset. I was like, Oh, let me like do a quick pitch on this guy. And I'm like, ah, we're in this cutting edge space where we're trying to figure out how to build community for the largest and fastest growing religious demographic in the United States. And there's so many questions about how to do it. I tried to frame it as an interesting question. And, and he turned around and framed it back to me. He's like, so you're trying to innovate a trillion dollar space, like one of the only trillion dollar industries in the world. And I was like, I'd never actually thought of religion in, in a like financial market sense. Like, yes, it is probably one of the like four biggest markets. And it's up there with like food. You know, it's religion historically has held so much power over our society. I mean, I think we forget sometimes even in America that just like 300 years ago, the Church of England was like calling the shots, you know, through the king. And and we like people didn't have access to divorce. If you wanted an education, you had to go through a parochial school like this. This concept of like a, a secular society is still a super modern invention. And the second part is the way we've designed society in America, at least, we're still empowering the hell out of churches, right? The, the difference between Northern Europe and America uh, isn't just that they lost belief. It's that when it comes to the government, we <laughs> have secular government overall, but we keep a weak government. And so all these nonprofits and religious institutions get to solve all the problems that religion doesn't. So suddenly homelessness, housing, food, refugees, like these are all things that religions now have power over still. They're the only ones with the money and the organizing capacity to do that. And in a lot of Northern Europe, the government does that. The secular institution has democratized that process to the point where they've disempowered religions from controlling where you eat, where you sleep, how you get into another country through a refugee process. And what that means is religions have to compete on ideas in the scientific age. And what do you know? They are absolutely dying. Um, they're not dead. And in some cases, they're still funding them, like in Norway. Uh, but we're f the way to do this is not to ignore government. Like We actually shouldn't be competing with religions on, in homelessness and hunger. We're doing it because we have to. We're creating alternatives. Like Atheist United has a food distribution. But really the dream here is like secular public education. We didn't actually want to just build competitive atheist schools. We want the government to enforce that education has to be secular. I think we want the same for hospitals, which you see in other countries, but you don't see in the United States. In California, most hospitals are owned by the Catholics and the Jews. Like, you want to get an abortion in one of those hospitals? Nuh-uh. You're not going to get one. Um, you want gender-affirming care? Uh-uh. You want death with dignity? No way. They can just deny that because they're religious. Uh, they're still private institutions. So 
we have so much work to do, and it all connects back to government for creating a secular society. And I actually think atheists get this wrong. They think we should be debating religion one-on-one, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You should be changing their power in society so that they have to compete on their ideas. They don't get to control where people eat and where they sleep. Power is the problem. Their ideas are weird, but it's their power over other people that we actually care about. You know, if they have to compete on their ideas, they're going to lose or I I doubt they're going to do as well as they're currently doing. Well, it's also we're at a stage of we talk about what is behind the rise of the nuns. The answer is simple. It's information. They cannot survive that information war. It's just it's it's locked in, right? Like as soon as people apply any degree of scrutiny, even scrutiny they may have learned inside the religion, such as saying like, oh, you know, uh, try to, uh, I think it was called what, German, um, when they were examining the Bible there, uh, what was it called again? It was, um, <laughs> anyways, they were trying to study to see, well, it's, it's going to all make sense. No, it, uh, it really didn't. <laughs> it destroyed yeah. people's faiths. So I, I think you're right that we've got that covered and there's still just a cottage industry of people and- doing it because we need that cognitive fulfillment, right? We're like, and- we, we're right. And that's what we need to know. And I do want to give people a historical perspective on like that. Like this is so new. We are in the multimedia revolution like no other age has ever seen. We have no idea what platforms we're going to be communicating on five years from now. And having access to all information all the time like didn't exist before the Internet. I, I really try to empathize actually with the people who founded a lot of these organizations. You know, 1982, Atheist United was founded. And to be an atheist in 1982 – was hard, you know, trying to be religious and question your religion. What what do you do? Like, you got to go to the library and hope your parents don't see the book you're checking out. Like, this is, we're in such a different age where a youth can suddenly follow someone on TikTok or Google something and, and then get to, we're finding actually in college, most people lose their religion between their first and second year. Uh, We're finding the Secular Student Alliance has some new anecdotal data that's showing that like they're going into college with a religion and they're leaving without one. And it often happens in that first year because they escape from their family. And we're even found that during the pandemic, religious identification of youth stayed the same or went up a bit because youth had to stay at home with their parents. They were forced to still go to church. Their identity was locked in by their behavior. Like we, this access to information, this this freedom that comes from all of that and our ability to question institution like churches that like historically it was it was too taboo to question like you literally dealt with violence often um, but you could do with an internet account uh, it 's a thrilling time, but it 's made organizing hard as hell it 's made organizing around an identity like atheist or Christian or Jewish right like pick your identity almost impossible you know youtube 's more exciting than my atheist community group most days of the week. So when I'm selling an event, I have to be 10 times better than the guy 20 years ago. <laughs> well, did, did they have, before you, they got you, did Atheist United try to focus on finding people with marketing as background, or was it more academic? Was it sort of like their approach before? So I'm the first time, first full-time hire of the organization. Uh, Atheist United was a community group founded in 1982. They, I think, mostly function like a lot of secular communities when they get started. They were kind of a discussion group. They were very focused on each other, a little insular. Uh, and I think that's because there was a lot of religious trauma and people were just trying to address their needs of finding their identity, finding their community. 
over time, they got into a lot of community service. They would support other organizations regionally. They sometimes engaged with religious people, often more in conflict. Uh, but uh, when I was hired, there was a clear mission to bring in young people. It was like, we know this is the most secular generation in American history. We want to figure out what community needs they have and how to organize for them. And we want to boost the profile of everything we're doing. We want to have more impact on the lives of people we're serving. Um, so that's what we've been trying to do since I was hired. And it's not easy. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, you are also dealing with the loneliest generation in history. Uh, yes. You know, I think, you, you know, maybe you should start friendship groups, perhaps. Uh-huh. Uh, or because that's the, that's the other problem, too. Young men, I think a quarter of them are saying they don't have a close friendship. Uh, and still young men are still primarily the main population of, of atheists. Uh, it seems to me young white males still dominate, according to yep. uh, research. So there's still lots they, of work that needs to be done in other communities. How do we reach those communities? What, yeah. what, what kind of strategies do you want to employ on, on that front? I, I think it's, it's really simple if we think about it for two seconds, which is what are the needs they have and how do we address them? Um, so I think that's exactly what you said. I, I think... I remember uh, I finally found a book when I was like looking at church planning books, which again, it's, it's a terrible waste of time most of the time. But uh, I had a guy who went through seminary, who was a friend of mine, and he recommended a book that had some really good secular ideas in it. And one of them was most people think they join community because they're looking for belonging, right? They want to be around other people with the same labels and beliefs as them. Um, but that's not why they stay in community. Most people stay in community because that community offers something transformational. It helps you grow as a human being, right? This is the difference between like a math class you don't remember as a kid and an English class that changed your life. And that teacher is imprinted in your brain until you will die. Uh, something transformational happened in that English class. Like you felt like you grew as a human being. I think a lot of summer camps do this for people. I think a lot of recovery programs do this for people. And we just need to figure out how to create more programs that offer that type of growth around the needs you have. So again, if we're talking about young people, I think you're 100% right. I think there is uh, a lot of issues with connection, with loneliness, with how to be vulnerable in an age where you don't have to. You can communicate with everyone all the time, but never actually have to get vulnerable. I think there is needs. I th still think there's basic needs for just finding each other. That's a little bit more belonging. But like we throw parties and people just talk about what it means to be in a room with other atheists because their partner or their boss is super religious or they just moved to L.A. from Alabama. And this is the first time they felt like they could fully be themselves. Right. This is a really common narrative we hear in queer communities as well, which overlap intensely with atheist communities. Um, I think we have a need for wonder and awe and experience in like-minded groups. So we started doing a, a camping trip to Death Valley to look at the stars with an astronomer. And it was this idea of people feel like they get religious experience in certain religious communities. But when we dissected the why, it was because some experience created a sense of awe. And for a secular person, that's often connection with nature. It's about having your mind blown by a scientific fact in a unique environment. Um, and well, I, there, It's the yeah. transcendental experience that religion has always benefited from, even though every single one of those was produced by a fucking human, right? It's like yes. you go to a concert always. and you're listening to David Gilmore play, uh, you know, one of his uh, solos, and it is a transcendent experience. You're like, 
some human beings seem to have something so talented that you're just like, is there more? And then, of course, religion's like, oh, yeah, of course. And if you only pay us money, we'll tell you about this guy. Right, right, Meanwhile, we're just like, our pitch is like, no, 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 no. It's uh, chemicals in the brain. We're not too sure. Uh, Enjoy it. I I agree with a lot of communicators who think, like, facts are better than magic for for talking about things for understanding things and for i think appreciating things for i like i can appreciate an experience more when i know it's true um and i think that way about like our camping trips to the desert uh recovery so smart recovery is a secular program that was created about 20 years ago because there was a recognition that aa and a lot of these programs have very religious backgrounds and a lot of people don't feel served by them because they're constantly telling you to believe in a higher power or they're devaluing you as a human being and you're supposed to always give over yourself. Smart Recovery built a science-based program. And so that is a need we address. In Los Angeles, we host the Smart Recovery meetings in our office and there are 25 people there weekly. And we are killing ourselves that we can only offer one program right now because we don't have enough facilitators. But like recovery is a need that secular people have. So, again, I think we focus too much on the atheism and we need to start asking what are the needs of atheists. And atheists, again, are looking for places to volunteer that aren't churches. They're looking for places where they can raise their kids that will be safe and will care about science education, right? They're, they're looking for people that might visit them in the hospital when they're sick, which right now, where do you get that other than a religious community? Um, these are the opportunities we have as we mobilize to address, I think, very real and very important human needs. And What's happened is we haven't had the time and resources to really creatively think about those solutions, what those programs might look like. And the programs we created in the 1980s aren't necessarily working for the Gen Z youth joining our communities today who had YouTube when they grew up, who had, you know, uh, they have a maybe a multicultural uh, family or a multi-faith group of friends that again, a lot of our elders just didn't have when they were founding these communities. So I don't know. I I don't have all of the solutions, but what I can say is our community has made a very conscious choice to embrace that there are no sacred cows and that the way to figure out what program works is to try to throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. We're going to, we're going to iterate as quickly as possible. We're going to think like entrepreneurs and the good programs are going to bubble up to the top because we're going to be getting rapid feedback that people find value in them. Uh, and I think that's been the only thing that's differentiated us from most of the other secular communities is we went from four to 16 programs since I was hired. And like, I'd say about 10 of them now people are obsessed with, and we're bringing in young people uh, and we're getting media, national media attention for, and I, I don't think they're that hard, but we empowered somebody to be paid full time to try all of those things. And suddenly we have the capacity to do it. So <laughs> pay people, hire entrepreneurs, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're passionate. You're a good looking guy. You know, you remind me of a bit of the Veritasium guy. You look a lot like, Veritasium. oh, <laughs> You know, sort of like you, you've got a nice, youthful, a handsome face. That helps because, you know, let's not got to put our best foot forward here. So <laughs> your day consists of what? Give me an idea of sort of like your itinerary. Yeah. You wake up. What are you doing for most of the day? Yeah, I'm doing every everything because I'm the one employee of a nonprofit, right, trying to – trying to spend a hundred grand a year and somehow bring in 150, which we're not there yet. Um, so I'm doing everything from your basic nonprofit management, which could be, 
emails, donor management, social media, interviews with random podcasts, or uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of event organizing. I'm doing political organizing. Like I'm working with American Atheists right now on a push we're going to make with a partner to end child marriage in California in 2024. There's a child marriage is still legal in most states in the United States. Uh, who's who's giving you the most pushback on that uh, making child marriage illegal? Where, of course, it's like the, the religious, right? There's, there's really no. It's going to be religious <laughs> and and uh, uh, and really problematic, like tradition. Tradition is the only argument for this, usually, that I find. Right. Um, so there's so much to work on, even in a state as progressive as California. There, there's kind of endless amounts of issues we can still deal with. Um, so yeah, that community organizing, that political organizing, every now and then trying to take two seconds to like think about what might be our next program. Um, what I can't do that I think is still in need of our community is what would traditionally be called pastoral care in a religious community. That would be that like one-on-one support. You know, in secular world, we would call that a counselor, somebody that could help you address a death in your family or help you with an existential question or help you explore your sexuality as, as you move through those transitions that we don't actually have the capacity to support people with much. Like I'm much more of a think of us more like if we were, I, I think if, if we had a hundred million dollars, we wouldn't look like a church. We would look more like an LGBT center, what I'm building. Um, but yeah, what, what is that? level of support that can help you get through your day or help you get out of a rut that pastoral figures have served in religious communities. Like that's one of those huge questions we don't have answered yet for how we recreate in secular spaces uh, that different models have tried. You've seen Sunday Assembly and Oasis try like the, the scaffolding of a religious. tried. Yeah. I think the problem though, when you look at those is that they were sometimes an extension of a personality. Uh, rather than a movement that could really take off uh, and be replicated. And I think this is where you're, you're probably facing that big challenge. How do I take this, make it a program that New York can take on? Because all of a sudden, if you had New York State, <clears throat> yeah. you know, that'd be a big uh, addition here, and you'd, uh, now you just need somebody in the middle. Hey, Illinois, what's going on over yeah. there? Or, you know, we need some people uh, in the middle. So it, it's, it's almost like, okay, with they were tried. I think some people got some bad taste in their mouths from that as well. Because, you know, how we're, we're very critical in this community. We're just like, as soon as we see somebody like, oh, they're trying to be just like religion. Shut it down. <laughs> no, 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 no. And honestly, I think we actually should be a little humbled by just the difference between the UK, which is where Sunday Assembly came from, like modern London and Nashville, Tennessee, where like they tried to launch one. So th there were about 50 or 100 that launched across the United States when they did their franchise model. And there's maybe 10, 15 left. Uh, but what's the major difference between modern London and the United States where Sunday Assembly wanted to recreate religion, especially a Christian model of religion, get together, sing songs, whatever. They wanted to be so post-religious that you wouldn't talk about the word atheist. Like literally the people in Sunday Assembly refuse to call themselves atheists a lot of the time. Well, the word atheist... 
and and it usually is in a lot of those communities. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm not going to bash Sunday Assembly. I actually have a lot of positive things to say. But I think a challenge they ran into is in the United States, atheist isn't a philosophical identity. It's a political identity, right? Like you get labeled an atheist by Christian supremacists. You To be an atheist is an inherently political act across the United States today. And you literally have to come out in a lot of areas. And it is it is a... Uh, it is a, a whole world of trouble you run into. And so we have to use the word atheist until it is normalized in a way that London 20-year-olds don't because it is a mostly secular world that they live in. So I think, yeah, trying to launch a group in, <laughs> again, like a Kentucky and, and not use the word atheist will work for the very – like if you're in a hyper bubble of other progressive people um, – or if you're all rich enough to where you don't actually have to deal with any of the intersectional issues that come from being atheists. And so Sunday Assembly has thrived in very liberal cities with mostly white rich parents. Um, but, but this is the key here. They're older, right? Because they're trying to recreate a tradition they may have liked while the younger generation, most of them didn't even do this, right? So, so for them sitting in a pew singing yes. songs, like, what the hell is this? This is boring as hell. Like, what the Maybe. fuck are you doing? Los Angeles, I think it's done really well. Uh, I find actually like the th – so earlier I mentioned the third generation atheist. Uh, and picture the third generation atheist who grows up in Los Angeles. They work at Netflix. Like they don't know religious people. Like they truly have lived a secular life like they live in London. Um, that person has never understood the reason and depth that we care about separation of church and state or we talk about religious privilege all the time. And they literally are just like, I want to sing with people. Um, or they had a kid and they're like, I just want secular childcare. Uh, and I'll also sing while I do that. Sure, whatever. And those people have thrived. The one thing Sunday Assembly did that I think is a model that everyone else needs to figure out how to replicate is the childcare. They always prioritize childcare for all of their programs. And so they had people in their 30s and 40s that were parents that a lot of other communities didn't. Um, I think a lot of groups, when they get started, you get a lot of retired people because that's who has the time to join these things. And, um, But parents are a very important demographic that they figured out how to address that need by offering – again, if we flip all of our organizing concepts to what is the need, how do we address it, uh, it all makes so much more sense. But do we become a bit like ambulance chasers where we're sort of like, you know, we, we almost maybe seem too eager or – because again, like maybe it's not so much you're hurting cats, but to approach a cat, you know, yeah. you got to be cool. You can't just be like, hey, yeah. kitty, come over here. I want to love you, kitty. So the second half is I don't think there's one way to do it. I, I think that's a, a conservative model. I think we, we're trying to steal too much from like the evangelicals when we think like that, that we can like all be the religious right and we can mobilize around like a single organization like Focus on the Family or something. Like the we have a progressive group of people given all the polling demographic. Like we just don't function that way. And when it comes to community, rather than our political organizing, politically you're always going to try to like build messaging that can work for a million people. But when it comes to your community, sometimes you're not just an atheist. You're a, a black queer atheist and you might want to be around other black queer atheists. Now, that takes your community and it shrinks it and then it shrinks it until you have very few people you can organize with. But the power of being in the same room with those people and the value you might get out of that at the community level 
is huge. And so a city like Los Angeles shouldn't have one atheist group. We should have hundreds of atheist groups. And some are going to like playing kickball and some are going to like singing songs and some are going to like bashing religion and some are going to like, you know, organizing around reproductive justice and some are going to be Nazis and none of us are going to work with them. But like there there is no one model of atheist organizing. And I think atheist community is going to be even more diverse. So that's the beauty of Sunday Assembly is they 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 thought like entrepreneurs, which Sanderson, like their founder, is absolutely one of those people. He's he's a marketing genius to some extent. Um, they are, are trying to serve a need of a slightly different demographic. So there are lots of secular people who are comfortable in religious spaces. At Unitarian Universalist churches, if you step into any UU church across the U.S. today, about half the people in there are going to identify as secular, atheist, or humanist. It's unbelievable how many non-religious people are in religious institution right now. I should say non-theistic people are in religious settings right now because that's where they get their community. That's where they can politically organize. Often more people there than the local atheist community. Um, but that serves their needs and they're comfortable in churches the way that I'm not. I just like the way I grew up, I, I, I immediately start freaking out the second I'm like in a Catholic church and that singing starts. And I think there's a lot of people like me as well. So we might organize a community where we never sing or when we sing, it's, it's you always can opt out. It's a karaoke party and you can just watch from the back if you want. Like we're going to hyper prioritize freedom rather than tradition. And there's a spectrum there between those two types of community models, and I want to see all of them. I, I think right now one of the cool things about the nuns is that most of those people aren't atheists, right? Most of those people believe in some weird concept of higher power that may or may not be like Christian or Buddhist or Hindu. Um, what do their community models look like? How will they build rituals? How will they gather? Will they organize politically or not, right? Agnostics. We always say we're inviting of agnostics, but like – what do we really mean when we say we're inviting to agnostics? What type of agnostics? How are they? Oh, gonna- come on. Like no one's inviting. <laughs> Atheist versus agnosticism is one of those intellectual battles I, that will never end. No, no. And I, I wrote a whole paper in college about why most agnostics are just atheists. But um, I really think – and that it's a weird – yeah, it's just a really weird, odd thing. But what I – Again, think of them as people who are going to organize slightly different. They look for different language. They look for different culture. Um I think we're going to see hundreds. It's going to be our own Protestant Reformation. We're going to just see hundreds and hundreds of different types of breakoffs and subgroups. And that doesn't bother me for their community organizing and what parties they might throw, what, what language they might put on their website. But what we do need is to figure out how to mobilize them politically. And those are two different social movements. They're intertwined, but the people you gather with on Sunday to do coffee with and the people you go to the Capitol and march with right? Like could and should look different. It should be a much larger coalition that you do your political work with. And we're trying to figure out how to take the five to 30% of Americans who are atheist or secular. And how do we actually get them thinking alike politically, using the same language politically, mobilizing together? But when it comes to hanging out together, I I just don't think you need like a feminist and an anti-feminist atheist, like in the same room. I think they can have their own communities. Well, I I actually think that what we really need to do is we need to start getting data. Now, when you were telling me that you just need to identify demands, I'm like, you guys should have a survey or something like that on your site where I can identify 
sort of key thing, key issues in my area, let's say geolocates, right? Yep. And it's just a survey saying, okay, is is this a service for LGBT being, uh, you know, is this something that you have in your community? Yes or no? Because we're closely allied with these yeah. groups and there's lots of interchange. So that you could say, well, we were seeing a lot of this kind of response from the Midwest and whatever. And then maybe from you there. Should, you should definitely have on your show someone from American Atheists who worked on the secular survey. They actually uh, they got 35,000 participants. They've put out a few reports now. They had enough participants to where they could break down into subgroups like young people, LGBT community, women. Uh, really impressive research because it also brought forward some needs that we weren't necessarily using language for or addressing in a lot of our communities. Um, so, for instance, family separation is one of the biggest issues that we deal with in our communities, but we don't actually like talk about that much. We're not necessarily oh. building resources and programs for but a lot of our community, when they come out as non-theistic or when they join an atheist community, they suddenly can't talk to their parents anymore. They lose a sibling as a, as a friend. They literally are harassed by the church that they used to participate in. And I don't actually think we have almost any resources to address that right now. Um, but that is a need somebody will figure out how to address, and I think we can – we can try to organize around. Uh, and so I, 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 I want to double down on what you're saying. There's not enough research in this space. There's not enough polling we're doing, partially because it takes money um, and it needs academics. Uh, so yeah, if, if somebody is listening and has $50,000 and wants to help another secular survey happen or, or work with organizations like mine, like I would hire a researcher if you gave me a grant to do that and we could work on this. Uh, there's a there's a, a sister organization in Vancouver, Canada, who hired a researcher, and he's been developing all these reports on the local government and how much religion has been coming into different meetings that no one had ever created before until that researcher put time into it. And now they know for 10 years they've had certain prayers at certain meetings, and they've been like 99% Christian, even though the law in Canada says it can't be one religion. And nobody had known it until researchers got in that space. So, yes, part of this political movement, research is this massive element that I think is currently underfunded. And I think there's actually plenty of researchers excited to do this. I, I've talked to a lot of them, but mm -hmm. oh yeah, for trying to be a atheist scholar at a, at a, at a university right now, like that, those aren't departments that are created, you know, that's, that's such groundbreaking research. We're starting to see it because everyone can't ignore how big the nuns are, but uh, it's still the the, we're at the first wave of some of this work, and people are figuring out how to do it. They're figuring out how to fund it. Um, so much work to do. I, I, yeah, if we want to talk about things we could do, we've got, we've got a few years we could talk. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned sort of like the biggest thing that we, we, we can kind of like shine a light on is just the, the kind of trauma side, which is where we always – that's why I say I, I call this a bit of ambulance chasers, right? Because sure. you know as soon as someone's you know dropped off of religion – uh, you know they need a soft landing. Now, it's, a, it's an awkward position for us to be in because we don't want to replicate what they just escaped, right? So it's kind of like saying, hey, we're there if you need, need us, maybe. Like, the messaging on there, how do you not appear like the scumbags they were just leaving? And I don't, I don't think anyone's f 
fully solved this. I mean, I do think we need to lead by example. You know, if, if we truly have progressive values, if we believe about freedom and expression and all of these things we always talk about, then we just have to do it, right? Like we can't judge clothing when you come into our community or care about what words people use. Like there's – I find this is more with older generations, but still there's sometimes like some odd respectability politics. And while that's usually not – a direct one-to-one like religious trigger it's still like where does that come from that comes from tradition that comes from religion like we have no reason to care about these things um uh repeat the question one more time i I Um, put another thought so okay so what i was mentioning is just the fact that we're kind of ambulance chasers that we, we have to approach people who are in that trauma and it's it's a lot of the same messaging that they were receiving Minus maybe the Jesus, but they're probably thinking in the back of their head, they want something from me. And of course we do. We want money. And and I think, but we, yeah, and we have reasons we need money. We need to tell people what those are. Like, it's not magic. It's not, you know, I'm hiding the plane I'm going to buy. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. The I'm literally, I'm going to buy. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're literally going to have a lobbyist go to Sacramento or something. Like, that's really tangible work. And I think we can, we can speak tangibly about that. Uh, the second part, I think what happens a lot of the time uh, you know, I, I sometimes sit around and ask, like, why is Matt Dillahunty's podcast still like one of the most, you know, or, or Seth Andrews? Like, why are these guys so popular? Because um, I've been an atheist most of my life. I've heard every argument they've ever said. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's nothing unique about what they're saying anymore. Um, they just find different people that they're responding to and they say it in different ways. And you know, I'm not going to say that that's not needed. But the why it is so popular, I think, comes from... The existential question about theism and religion is still so important, and it's the first step before you do anything else. So I think if you're questioning your religion, you need the language to describe what you're going through. You need the language of the new belief you might have, and you need the language for the identity that you're about to take on. And that process can take anywhere from a year to 25 years, you know, like that's that's a huge intellectual and emotional process that a lot of people go through. And unfortunately, they're going through it alone. You know, I, I had somebody explain to me once, a researcher explained that most people, when they say they join a community of religion, they join a community. And when they become an atheist, they do it on their own, right? Like this, this is a lonely transition a lot of us make. And so having somebody who keeps telling you that your ideas are right and telling you that uh, there are words for it. Like that feels really good. The downside. Well, that's, that's just like the sermon. That's just why yes. you went to church back in the day when it was entertaining. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm having some doubts, but this guy sort of seems to be preaching with a lot of confidence. And for atheists, it's like, bring it on religious people. What are your arguments? And every single time one of them comes crashing and just, just hits a fucking brick wall. We're just like, ah, and cognitive it, reassurance. And it feels good. Uh, and, yeah. And that might be a need, right? Like getting back to needs. Like we have, it is, a, it definitely we have is. an emotional and intellectual need to be right and to feel that we are right. Um, it's the only thing we've got. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the questions we also have to have is like, what else can we do with that? And is there something that – are there other questions that we can try to be right on and keep pushing and, and that connect more to our actions? So, um, you know, in some ways I think the tradition – that is taught by conservative religion is that everyone is broken and we're the only ones that can fix it. And people that come from those traditions and become atheists sometimes just replicate that, right? Like you're, 
you religion people, you're all fucking idiots, and we're the only thing that can fix you is atheism. And sometimes they take, speak about that with such general broadness, like all war will stop once we're atheist or something, which is just stupid. It's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But if you look at the co- comments on YouTube and Facebook, like people, people are saying and thinking that right now. Um, and so – but what I find is after like three or four years, right, once that – trauma response starts to go down and you feel more comfortable in your identity you're willing to like hang out with some other people that are like you and realize you're not alone you start asking well how do we do service together how do i be more ethical with my life how do i you know again raise children i keep coming back to these same examples because they're just so important but i think there's so many other interesting questions that come once you're secular that have nothing to do with atheism um, and so this this transition from atheism to being an atheist, which has much more political implications, which is much more about your human experience in the world than your philosophical assurance. Um, there's so much to explore there and there's so much to figure out and there's so many needs that break off from that. Like coming out as atheists in most places in the world is dangerous or political. Um, wow, like those people need help. So let's figure out how to help them, right? I, if I want to do good work as an atheist and I want to mobilize with other atheists, how do I do that? What does that look like? What is, uh, how do we sustain that? Uh, huge questions that don't have easy answers, which is what excites me about them. I can work on them for 20 years and still be developing my answers in a way that asking whether God exists and being raw, raw about being right. Like I lost energy for 15 years ago. <laughs> well, I think that maybe all we're at a position right now. Like you said, this is early day stuff. Yeah. Well, that also means you can design a political organization that isn't really limited by its past and its history. That means that you could, for instance, because again, yes. with a lot of atheists, there's going to be different things. You could say, we're going to put a platform of 100 issues and everyone gets to vote on them. And the amount of resources and time we devote to them are entirely democratic. And we could say, look, are you that atheist who says, we want to combat, uh, I don't know, we want to fight for liberal, uh, libertarianism, yeah. or I don't know what. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, if there's like 15% of the atheist population want that, hello. I mean, it's a democratic institution. Let's get on that shit. More people want to hear about it. So maybe that's the, the approach we should take. Is like We're not doing things the way that everybody else was. We're sort of taking the lessons that all these political organizations have learned, but now we're actually going to design ourselves from the get-go with those lessons in mind. And to me, that's one of the one reasons I like this space and what always drew me to it. I, I think the one thing we have over every other community is we challenge tradition, right? Like we understand that status quo bias is a logical fallacy. And for a secular worldview to work, we have to use things like the scientific method. We have to be constantly looking for new information. We have to be humble about our place in the universe. And that should, it doesn't always, but it should make us better at trying to help people compassionately, at trying to build better systems and institutions that we can live in. So I would hope like a humanist perspective or a secular perspective on the world can can empower us more to be leaders. Uh, there are no sacred cows in a secular community. You know, like some people joke, right? Ah, you're building a religious community. I was like, we can fight over religion. Sure, maybe, no, like I don't really care. Um, but one of the things that most religious institutions always have is the sacred and the profane. And so I've, I've 
intellectually tried to play with what is the sacred and profane ideas in the secular community. And I'm like, our most sacred idea is that there's no sacred ideas. Uh, like truly we, skepticism has been the cornerstone of everything that we've been trying to build with everything from the podcasts that exist to the organizations we have is that we will change our mind based on new information uh, because we're trying to build a, a rational and evidence-based and skeptic-centered world. Uh, now, again, do we always achieve this? No, because we're humans. We're monkeys in shoes. But like that is actually one of the core values that underpins our movement compared to others and, and what excites me about it. I think the, the other thing, too, is that the atheist community is always a little bit ahead on what's going to happen. Like, I remember in the beginning where the atheist community, there was like, you know, uh, accusations of sexism and things like that. And that all came way before Me Too. And it was just a precursor. Um, same thing with uh, the trans issues. Yeah. Way early, discussed way early, like a decade before in the atheist community, before it really became an issue with the rest of the world. And I think it's just usually because... We're, we're kind of willing to face some of those issues, though I think the problem that we have is we often sacrifice the good for the perfect, right? We just sure. we want it to be perfect, and so we're like, well, until then, we just won't do anything, and it's not worth it because we just can't get it the perfect way, and it might be ruined that way. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. there's that deep skepticism where we, we it might have been so much skepticism that we don't want to do anything. How do we get past right. that? Right, right, right. Yeah, I think there's two sides to that. So one, you know, the some of the people I know who joke about Unitarian Universalists, which if you've ever been in one of those churches, they're just like the most open-minded people. And the joke is they're so open-minded, their brain falls out sometimes. Um, <laughs> like I, I go in one week and it's an atheist talking about like political work and the next week it's a spoon bender. And I'm like, no, don't do that, guys. Not our uh, jam. <laughs> yeah, like really. Um, but, practice some degree of skepticism. <laughs> yes, no, I, I yeah, <laughs> always. Uh, but yes, I think if you're following... And again, I'm going to use the language of humanist values here because they're meaningful to me, but I could find other language if people are coming from slightly different uh, secular worldviews. Um, I think we challenge the concept of status quo bias. We know that appeal to tradition is a logical fallacy, like that we don't we shouldn't do something just because somebody says you should or because it's sacred. Right. Like I do think conversation and evidence and experience are things that matter to how we build worldviews, or at least that's the language we use. Um, again, I, I still think at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're apes in shoes. So I don't, <laughs> I don't like to think of us as supercomputers once we're atheists. We're just not, we suck. Um, but yeah, like I, th I think the challenges that we face in our community are not unique. Sexism, uh, you know, institutional privilege, uh, uh, racism, like we're going to deal with those in secular communities because those weren't religious or secular issues. Um, and we are, again, being human, we're going to run into logical fallacies and have biases as much as any other community. I would hope we could address them clearer. Uh, but to be skeptical is to be vulnerable. And also we have values of compassion which sometimes means standing your ground and pushing people out who are toxic. Like, and those values run into each other sometimes. Our value to freedom and, and radical freedom of speech and like open discussion and dialogue, which also run into when you're building communities like compassion and safety, which often I think are 
more important issues. Like if I'm trying to build a, a community for people and they don't feel safe in it, I, I just can't build that community. Like there's there's no point in the community if people don't feel safe in it. So if I have to choose between uh, some old guy who wants to shout about his opinions of trans people or like a safe space for trans kids, like I, I'm just going to choose the safety over the dialogue for my community work. Um, where academia or philosophy spaces, which we can create separately, we're going to have the full-on debates and it's going to be ugly and everyone will love or hate each other. Um, so I don't know. Like I think there's been a lot of people who have been hurt or traumatized by the bias and privilege that existed in our community and our movement in the past or who were pushed out or who never could be – who never had space. And like they used a political tool of using – us or them to accomplish progress on that, which feels like at times we are uh, not allowing debate. But for some people, the debate was over a long time ago. Again, like I don't get into debates with Christians anymore. They beg me all the time, like, come debate me. And I'm like, I don't need to debate you. I can spend my time doing much better things and be much Mm -hmm. more productive in the world. And I think some people are there on some issues that some of us might still be figuring out. And so it'll feel like they're shutting down debate, but I think to some extent they've just made up their mind and they could be wrong or they could be right and we can disagree with them. But uh, I think we're having a political conversation, not a philosophical conversation at that point. And like political rhetoric is not about <laughs> debate. It's about power. It's about trying to win. You know, you're, you're not looking for perfect language anymore. You're, you're trying to, to win progress and uh, having a I worked in politics for a number of years. Like I learned that as much as I value nuance as a human being, especially in a one-on-one conversation, like when it comes to political progress, I have to mobilize thousands or millions of people sometimes. And so imperfect language is going to be thrown out for progress sometimes. And that's going to piss people off. And they're going to think that we, you know, rolled over steamrolled over them. But um, often when I look back, the progress was worth it. So let's say I'm a young lad somewhere in the United States, and I'm thinking to myself, gee, this all sounds good. Um, (laughs) Where do I begin? Yeah, so there – I would start by looking up communities local to you. I think the best place to get started is trying to find something in your city. If you're young, I want to apologize right now. You're probably going to run into a lot of old cranky people, Um, and that's – not by design. I think that's just the way a lot of these organizations got started. Who has the time to be in them? Who has the money? You know, if you're young, you're working three jobs probably and they're just getting by. Um, but there's so much opportunity in those spaces. And whether they know how to communicate it or not, they're hungry for your energy. There's so many political issues that can be worked on. There's so many social and connection issues that could be addressed if you got involved. Um, Atheist United, we're in Los Angeles and we have chapters around Southern California. You can go to our website, atheistunited.org. There's our national partners we work with, which is American Atheists and American Humanist Association. And then if you're internationally international, I would look at Humanist International. They're the, the biggest, most legitimate organization at the moment, and they have affiliates across the world. Um, and again, your experience is going to be very different based on where you are. There's no such thing as a monolithic idea of what an atheist community could be or a humanist community. But uh, the the opportunity is unbelievable. You could be a leader in a trillion-dollar space trying to innovate what community could be like for millions or billions of people 
who have not had a unique model for community before. They've only ever had religious tradition. So have at it. Okay, so we're 25 years in the future. You've got a nice little gray <laughs> spot of hair going on. Oh, that's you know, looking there. a little bit like uh, Richard, Reed Richards. And you're looking back at your work that you've yeah. done. What is that vision? What do you think in 25 years you'd be able to accomplish? Where would you like to be? I actually think about this all the, all the time because I, I look at other social movements and the success they've had and the timelines they took and the type of institutions they had to build and the events that they threw that brought people together. And in some ways, I, I joke that I'm probably 20 or 30 years too early in the secular movement, right? Like if you want to be a celebrity organizer in this space, like this is, this is the worst time to do it. Um, but oh, there were worse times. There, <laughs> it was it's true. It's worse true. Before. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, we're heading in a direction where the media, our institutions, like they are slamming into this wall of secular identity. So everyone is having the initial dialogues right now. Uh, and I think we're going to see what the institutional changes look like in about 20 or 25 years. So when it comes to secular people running for political office and actually winning and having large sections of like Congress, I actually could totally see that 25 years from now where we have the first candidates running now. Like right now we're seeing some of the first candidates running for Congress as kind of openly secular. They're not all winning but you don't win your first race usually. You know, you run for school board first. You run for city council first. So a wave of political progress just takes time. Uh, institutions and organizations like mine, I'd like to see them move beyond simply social programming or safety-focused programming and actually have uh, buildings that we could – you know, be hubs in our cities for for hosting massive events, for speakers, for for bringing together other minority religious identities who have been oppressed by white Christian nationalism and other oppressive religious traditions. Um, we could address issues together where right now those groups are still confused or scared on how to work with non-religious communities. Um, I see institutions like prisons, like the military, like hospitals, right? There's there's conversations around secularism, around leadership, around funding that right now is wrapped up in religion that I think we're going to be addressing really heavily over the next 25 years if we can get our shit together. Um, so yeah, I, there's a lot of frontiers I think we are talking about right now that we just haven't had the resources for yet. And I'm hoping more than anything there's people who get entrepreneurial about this right now. They see an issue, they see a need, and they start trying to figure out how to work on it. And you won't have the funding you want, and you won't have the people you want to work with and the organizations ready to go at first. Um, but if you stick with it, I, the, all the demographic data shows we're heading in the right direction. And uh, a few of us that get paid and figure out how to message it are going to be the shoulders that you can steal stuff from. <laughs> So, you know, on a personal level, you've got, you know, bills to pay. You've got to live your uh -huh. life. Is this a bit of a risky venture as a, you know, on your resume here? What the fuck were you doing for the last few years might be some people's question. Yeah. So, well, and I have a background as an atheist activist. So I, I went to California Lutheran University and started their atheist club. I, you know, was on the board of the Secular Student Alliance for years. I ran atheist politicians for office in Arizona back when it wasn't cool to do that. Um, 
So for me, I'm probably just a lifelong activist. Uh, I'm also a, a white, straight dude from a like decently well-off family. Like I can fail a little easier than other people. So I could take this risk in a way that I think a 20-year-old with no parents just just can't. Um, you know, not that I'm being paid enough to really survive in LA necessarily, or you know, all, all the needs that should yeah, come with jobs should. like these, but. Um, if you're able to be more entrepreneurial, like there again, there's endless opportunities, and and we don't we don't know what success is going to be. You know, I, I I helped run those those athe- atheists for office in Arizona, and what came of it is I started a PR company, and and we worked with tons of nonprofits and other secular candidates, and we became the first humanist PR company in the United States at the time, and we wound up working with almost every national. Separation of Church and State and secular and atheist organization in the country because there was such a need for that. And did they have much money? No. They do now, though, right? Like they actually hire consultants nowadays, uh, better ones than we are. (laughs) Um, So do you think think atheists – do you think atheists can be those – Kind of that that generous group that suddenly sees like, wait, there is a lot that we can do with money. There, you know, like we yeah. let let us take control of this. Is it just a habit thing? Is it still all so young that we just don't know better? Like, it's how a, do we get to the point where I'm I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to give a hundred dollars a month, two hundred dollars yeah. a month, like real freaking money, not just here's a dollar. I, so it depends on the donor. I've learned this very quickly in the five years I've been here. I do think there's different types of donors, right? Like we all are triggered to give based on different things. So some people really love puppies and they give to their local like puppy shelter. Um, some people are very political and they will give to American Atheists and Freedom from Religion Foundation because they have lawyers and they are you know fighting for legislation. But they could give a shit about hanging out with atheists at a social party in Los Angeles. And that's okay. Like, again, I, I care about freedom. I want you to have that right to never have to join a community if you don't want to join a community. And then I have communitarians. I, I have people who come to every service project we do. They come to every party and they just praise the fact that they get to hang out with other people and they don't know where else they would do this. And they want to give $100 a month so they can keep doing that. So I do think because we're not religion, I'm not going to force you into anything. I'm going to find how you look at it, and I'm going to try to address that need. Uh, at the very least, though, we all have a political need. You right now in America are not a uh, a full citizen, right? Like there are there are laws on the books that privilege religion at the expense of you um, and other minority religions. And on top of that, I actually don't think all our money is going to come from atheists in the future. Uh, I think we can find a message that communicates to other pluralistic minded uh, activists who want to see social change and progress because it's not just hurting us. It's hurting Muslims. It's hurting Jews. It's, it's hurting Hindus in a lot of these areas where we're not fighting religion most of the time. We're fighting white Christian nationalism in the United States, uh, right? Like if, if I was in Saudi Arabia, like the Christians aren't the problem in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure, of them, I'm sure not all of them are cool, but like it's clearly a specific brand of supremacist religion that is intertwined with government that is the issue in those areas. So, you know, your fight might be against the Catholic church in your area rather than the uh, evangelicals on the school board, but what we're usually describing is a supremacist religion. Uh, and in America, nine times out of 10, that's, that's white Christian nationalism. So um, 
I don't know. Sometimes we're finding new language for how to do it. Sometimes we're finding new donors, but uh, connecting the value. And again, nobody's quite solved this. This, I think, is the whoever solves this is going to have the biggest organization and is going to be able to do a lot of work. Um, I'm still throwing spaghetti at the wall trying to figure out where it is, but I'm not convinced that atheists can't be organized and that atheists don't care about these issues. I think we just need to get in front of them and have a good pitch because most that I work with, they love giving to this. We're one of their top three organizations that they donate to. Uh, I'm not saying they should like stop giving to the Human Rights Watch and give only to us, but the idea that all other rights will be protected while things like separation of church and state and religious privilege just keep getting hammered on in our society. Um, I think they're wrong. I think we can connect what we do to LGBT rights, to reproductive justice, to climate change, to you know the, the safety of your neighborhood, to helping refugees, to fighting homelessness and hunger. I think that maybe what we need to really identify is the carrot and the stick, right? For religion, we know what the stick is. You're going to hell and the carrot is heaven, right? These are two really juicy little bits that they get to play around with. So what's our carrot? Oh, here's the hard truth of reality. And the stick, (laughs) meanwhile, is like, well, here's all the ways you're getting fucked. So, you know, maybe what we need is more visual. And progressives don't, I mean, like, again, we're dealing with this with all religious traditions that identify more progressively in their politics. Like, they just don't respond the same to the stick. The stick works really well in conservative traditions. You want to rile up a bunch of Republicans, use fear. You want to get a bunch of uh, leftists, like, it's just not going to work. They're all going to go in 10 different directions. So I think we have to get really clear about the carrots. I think there are some really real sticks. Like I, I do think the threat of white Christian nationalism like could end democracy in the next year. You know, like I, I think this election has consequences on our, our lives that we could talk about. But um, I – more often than not, find in left-leaning communities, you have to find persuasive ways to use the carrot. Well, I mean, you're you're talking about, like, the dangers of Christian nationalism. It's one of the reasons I sort of came back from my little retirement. Is that, you know, uh, uh, looking at it from the perspective of, hey, all the arguments have been done. You know, I did 350 shows. I was <laughs> fucking done. You know, yeah. like, I had rewritten my, my main project. It's actually that I had rewritten the Bible and made it sort of, like, uh, funny, mm-hmm. right? Like... And I'm like, I'm done. I have literally sort of like <laughs> done it all. I can right. go and just I'll retire. Fuck this shit. You didn't want and to pick a new religion? Like, There's oh. lots of religions. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I was like, Quran story is going to come out when I'm ready to go on my deathbed. I'm well aware of the danger of writing that fucking book. Totally. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, what I saw is that I'm like, okay, well, the work is not done because while you were sleeping for about yes. a decade, this shit, like they weren't. You know, like they were busy sending their little bees there to make some changes to everything. And just because the numbers show they're dying, I'm like a cornered animal is at its most fucking dangerous. And they they know yes. the stakes. We don't fucking know the stakes. They do. They know what their I, to, future is like. To help frame it for your listeners, like it, white Christian evangelicals, like they see this as a multi-generational war. And I don't mean war in a very like metaphorical sense. I mean like actual war, like ready to pick up guns if they have to type war. This is to save 
from the worst possible thing you can think of. And, you know, they've got religious language for that. But, like, I think we actually intuitively can understand that. I think the way some of us talk about democracy, I think the way some of us talk about, like, uh, liberal free speech, right? Like, we we care about those in our bones to the point where I think I would go to war for those. Um, and so we just need to match some element of that. And we need to stop thinking about it as just like one fight with one school board. Like they are coordinated the way an army or a nation is coordinated, right? Like nationalism doesn't exist just in pockets. Like this is a whole movement of people trying to take over every institution of power. And we have to be organized as a counterbalance in every single place. Now, what's beautiful is we don't actually need to be as big as them all the time because most Americans agree with us. Um, We don't have to uh, work as hard of them because we have most of the laws already on our side to start with. Um, But if we're not paying attention and we're not countering at least a bit when it's needed, if we're not running our own people for political office, if we're not there at the school boards that they're attacking, absolutely, you can lose these fights. This is is not a foregone conclusion. Um, I think the 2020 election was a perfect example of that to where like they have been feeding – a narrative that allows them to try to overthrow the government. And they like did some weird attempt of it on January 6th. But like Trump is probably not going to say that the election's over when it ends this cycle. And if he does win, he probably won't want any more elections. And that's how democracy dies. This is this is not hypothetical. We've seen this hundreds of times across the world. And so uh, you know, often for very little participation for us, we can have a huge impact. And I, I do want to encourage as many people to think that way. And it's not that you need to be in every trench all the time. That's that's not possible. But $5 to help someone be in that trench, five bucks a month, you know, probably worth it. Or showing up at a few events that mobilize other people to do that, absolutely worth it. So, Think multi-generationally about this. You don't have to be the activist all the time. I know you just want to like raise your kids and go on trips to Alaska or whatever the hell you do with your life. Um, but you won't be able to raise your kids the way you want. You won't be able to go to Alaska if you live in some of the areas facing these issues. You know, like there are atheist families right now with trans trans kids in Florida who literally are upending their entire lives because of this stuff, and. It doesn't cost much for us to fight that, to fight back. So let's talk stick here. I got an idea for you. Check yeah. this out. You're going to make a um, a pack of cards with Christian nationalists on it. You know, kind of <laughs> like that, how, how they used to do for like members of the Taliban and shit. So you just have like, who's this person? What are they trying to do or whatever? Because, you know, we, it's too much to almost remember. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much going on. You need here's like 52 or 54, depending on like with the Joker cards. Here's 54 motherfuckers, and that's just the beginning. Like, we have yeah. 10 more of these packs if we if we wanted to. But you know what I mean by something that's a little bit more tangible and, for us. And the religious right again, they aren't thinking about everything all the time. They built Fox News. They built 
focus on the family, right? Like there are there are donors and organizers that built the institutions that made this accessible to millions on the religious right. Uh, people don't understand how unorganized the the religious were on the right, you know, pre seventies compared to today. Um, this was actively and intentionally built. And I think we can build similar models. I think we are building similar models. If you join Secular Coalition for America or American Atheists, you don't need to know everything. They are going to write the messaging for you. They're going to frame the issue for you. They're going to point to these specific issues in your neighborhood that you can mobilize for when you need to. So I don't know. I, as a political activist, I think of everything in institutions. I'm just I'm so bored and not convinced that the individual conversations are worth our time. I'm glad some people are doing them. I do think we need to help some people individually uh, get out of their bad ideas or transition away from toxic institutions. But for my money and my time, uh, I don't think there's anything better you can you can do than build something that can impact millions of people with just a few staff or just uh, – a few hundred thousand dollars like and that's totally possible because we have thousands of examples of that throughout history see today you're my carrot because i've been mostly focusing <laughs> on the stick you know good atheist i didn't even realize this at the time is really more of a catalog of just religious wrongdoing and i'm like yeah i'm going to continue doing that because that you know uh, it's a daily reminder even to myself or even to the people following of just saying this does this never ends it's every day like and i can't even cover all the stuff that happens and it's just it's almost overwhelming i swear to God. it's hard it's hard to find hope sometimes i think or yeah. or or maybe hope's not the right word uh i just listened to dr light anthony. at the end of the tunnel maybe yeah you know or... uh, dr anthony pin uh is a is a humanist philosopher he's a religious studies professor he's incredible and i just saw him speak the other day and he was talking about oh, i think i read his book yeah incredible scholar and he talks about Sisyphus and like what the actual philosophical idea from that is. And, and look, like if you're a black American, it hasn't been all progress, right? Like, you know, Donald Trump comes after Barack Obama was what he kept saying. You know, like we have to we're not going to win all of these fights. And the, the moral arc of the universe like clearly doesn't bend in one direction. It's all over the place. And we have to use our human hands to try to like move it the direction we want. Um, so sometimes just surviving and just moving, just like maintaining where we're at can be progress enough. And that's kind of the story of Sisyphus. He has to come to, to know that this is all there is and find joy in it. Um, but you know, I, I would say there's another group of people that might see hope in that the, the possibility that progress can be made and the evidence that progress has been made in the past should give you inspiration and hope. And, yeah, there's so much to be angry about and so much to be upset about and so much bullshit that we deal with every day from religious people who have what feels like infinite amounts of money and power in our society. Um, but we have the capacity and the possibility for change. And yes, it might be more work than you can do or I can do or even what we can do together. But um, I have to try and I have to believe we can make some progress. And so or maybe I'm just trying to justify my own job. But uh, I, I, you know, the biases we have as monkeys in shoes. <laughs> well, you know, you have to also consider the fact that you may never really get to see the, the end result of all the labor, right? Like it's, yeah. it's like an author. Like most of these guys are died un unappreciated. And then later on, people are like, I love your books. 
motherfucker, the guy's been dead for 50 yeah. years. You know, like uh, he would it would have been nice to hear that when he was alive. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with that. And again, maybe I'm a little bit more individualistic than others and how I can like uh, fill myself up day to day, get by uh, or overconfidence that comes with being a white guy most days in the world. But I, I think, yeah, I, I don't think that has to be it. Like I'm very inspired by this work. And I think you can be too if you meet the people who have been transformed, right? Like this is why I think recovering from religion is – I always get back to because it's such a beautiful program. If you sit in on some of their their meetings, which you can go, the most of them are on Zoom these days. If you sit in on some of those support groups, you're reminded how bad religion is in day-to-day life for some people and how far people feel like they've come in just a year or two by like stepping away from it, by joining a community, by finding a new identity. And we're talking about often mostly an intellectual change for people, right? It's It's freedom of their brain. Sometimes we're literally talking about escape from violence. We're talking about like raising children with with a secular worldview and hope and a, and a passion for science that like their parents didn't give to them. And that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Stuff. Well, it also it, it sounds like it'd be a great video if you put some inspirational music I know, behind I know. it and some really well filmed. <laughs> I mean, you're in fucking California, man. Find know, a nice cinematographer. There are a dime a dozen. You got to do. Do even as almost a parody of one of those Scientology videos, right? Where they're just like, yeah, proper understanding. The bullshit you will. It's fuck aliens and engrams. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You're not offering that. We're offering that. <laughs> and fun and delight. Like, these are things that I think are much easier to do in community. That's why I come back to community. Because, again, I, I frame everything politically. But if you want to think about the progress you make process what you're doing and just like smile and have fun sometimes like <laughs> i could give you my own personal experience but like the research is overwhelming you need to be around other people that like number well not one... just that people need to have some fun and you know yeah. we're a little bit of a killjoy group yeah uh, you know we're socially the most awkward group probably of any group all right i, I would i would you gotta, would you gotta come hang out with our people you might enjoy them little more but well, yes i would love to go to california it's a little yes. far you know when you're talking <laughs> about uh you know montreal quebec yep. california it doesn't get much freaking further than it's that true. when it comes to north america but i trust me i'd love to see i would love to see what the the, the early stage of this kind of thing is because when i first contacted yeah. you you got to understand i've been in this in this scene for sure. a very long time and i have seen people come and say we're building this we're going to get mm-hmm, people behind mm-hmm. us we're going to get funding and i'm like uh-huh Look, if I can't oh. get fucking nothing, how are you guys going to get some shit? If, because I'm. If I, I had a dollar for every guy who like came from tech and was like, I've got the idea that will change everything in the secular space. And, and again, I have explanations for all of this. Like again, that we've people don't understand that you're building, you're working in a social movement. This isn't like other industries, right? And it's super diverse and it's super complex, and we're dealing with privilege and power, and we're dealing with with culture and tradition like these aren't these aren't things that you can just easily insert an app and have everyone happy like some things help right like if you are a celebrity you can sell more books in the space right if you have a million dollar marketing budget you can get a lot more people to pay attention um but this just isn't like any other industry uh and partially i think that's what i like about it i I like the long shot fights i've always been attracted to almost the impossible odds fight um, but, but we're clearly heading the right direction. Like, I, I, I don't think there's any measure in which I would say it was better 20 years ago. 
to be non-theist or to be a part of a non-theist community. So um, I don't know. I'm really excited in the large sense, even if day to day it is a constant struggle and it's never enough and there's always more we can do and there's never enough money. Um, but, you know, if enough of us keep at it, someday someone will will have a good run at it. <laughs> and you guys do. So let's say a person joins yeah. you. They decide to donate. Um, yeah. How do you notify people via newsletters? What 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 does a person expect when they're like, OK, you know what? Fuck it. Here's my five dollars yeah. a month. What do they awesome. what can they expect? Yeah, so especially if you're in California, you'll get discounts to all of our events. Uh, we don't do it. We still have some virtual, but most are in person these days. Uh, we have about 16 programs that we offer, everything from parties to support groups. We even tried a youth group for a while. I'm just waiting on like some new young people to join so I can relaunch that. Um, yeah, you are going to help us politically organize in the state of California, work with our national and international partners on other issues, uh, but really – us compared to other organizations, you're, I think, supporting the attempt at innovation in the space. We are going to try all of the things and figure out what works and then tell the world about it. You know, we have been able to come up with these camping trips that made the front page of the LA Times. We, we created this program called Atheist Street Pirates, which I thought would be this little cute thing we did in LA where we took down illegal religious signs on like highway overpasses that the city would never take down. And come to find out this is a massive issue across the United States. And in just two years, I have like 70 volunteers in 25 states and we've taken down over 2000 signs or we've and we've reported another like thousand signs. Um, so we have like goofy advocacy projects like that. Um, yeah, yeah, you're so, in full experimentation mode uh, these days. Aren't and you? that's and I think that's what's needed. I, I honestly think if somebody knew what worked, they'd be doing it. Uh, most of our communities like and I think this is very similar to other progressive religious communities. You see this in Jewish and Christian traditions right now. They don't have many young people. You know, you're competing with YouTube these days and the label of your identity like Christian or atheist just isn't enough for people to join. Um, they might check you out for a meeting or two, but that's not enough to stay. You have to love the people. You have to have interesting things to do, and you have to feel like you're going to grow as a human being. And we don't know what those programs are. Uh, we'd all be doing them if we knew what they are. And we're in a multimedia revolution right now, right? Like you have TikTok did not exist seven years ago, and, and most of our communities are older than that. Um, so we're having to figure out how to communicate. We're having to figure out how to organize and we're figuring out how to keep people in our space, uh, like no other generation had to before. So get out there, experiment, try some new things. And if you find something that sticks, amazing, run with that. Um, but yeah, organizing 80 year olds and organizing 20 year olds is just two radically different things. And I think we've come up with a lot of programs that are really good for retired white people. Um, and we now need to figure out what are the programs for the 20 something out of college, the 30 something with a kid, the 40 something that just moved to a new city and left Christianity after 25 years. Like those are all very different people sometimes and how we communicate with them or what their needs are. But let's figure it out. I think we can figure it out. And you don't have to be everything to all people. Some communities try to be that. And I think that's a huge failure. You know, like maybe your lane is serving retired people. <laughs> Awesome. They have needs. Somebody needs to serve that need. Um, but, you know, playing bingo and talking philosophy isn't necessarily what the 20-something wants to do. They want to play beach volleyball and go for a hike and, like, do a blasphemy poetry night maybe. Like, so try that, you know? 
That's my You beat take. Nick Californian with your beat poetry. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, so anyways, you support us. You're supporting innovative programs and uh, ideally the larger political work we do. And if you're local, you're going to be able to access all of our community resources and events. I think if there was one thing that I would add to your messaging. Sure. Is there's a bunch of people out there that are probably of the same mindset. It's like, come to us if you're tired of the arguments, right? Like, you want to start doing shit. It starts here. We're done talking. Now it's time for some action. And if you really had that kind of like done talking action time kind of thing, you know, you cut through the bullshit. I think that, that you, would, you would attract a lot of the young people who are... They want some action, not like, bah, 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 but you know, like yeah. get out there and do stuff. That's I, what your street pirate shit is. That's action. It's, right? it's a really good thought. You know, we, I, I, we've had this page on meetup. I actually met the founder of meetup.com once and he talked about like the early days and atheists were one of the biggest first groups on meetup. And oh, yeah. because this is early internet organizing where, you know, when suddenly there was a page for group organizing and like the biggest groups were like pagans, atheists, like single moms. It was like these groups that couldn't find each other before, but desperately needed each other. And we've had this page since forever. We have like 3000 followers on it and whatever meetup, whether it's a good or bad site these days, we can debate. But we have another one that I took over from a friend and we labeled it atheists who volunteer and that page has tripled in size in like three years. Um, people aren't Googling atheist community. They're Googling how do I volunteer with atheists or atheist volunteer projects. I think your intuition is right that a lot of people, especially young people, are looking for the action, not the identity. Um, with that said, I just am trying not to alienate the recovering from religion community, which still makes up most of our people and keeps being the, the funnel for a lot of our groups and who I think have the biggest need of our community. You know, if you grew up third generation atheist, the need of joining an atheist community probably isn't as strong as just coming out as gay and atheist in Kentucky and like literally joining an atheist community could be life or death for you where, that that guy at Netflix, like, he kind of cares about the political work. He, yeah, he would enjoy a dress up party, but I, you know, that's there's fair. That, that's yeah. fair. But you, you have to remember, though, you, you're in a, you have a very small window right now. Uh, yep. Voting matters. We know the nuns don't, and right now they have the, they're going to have the most impact if they get off their fucking asses. So, and I think that's just because they're young though like i i think oh yeah that's a big the, part of it that's a huge part of it but i think it's just like down the line you're just like well there's no issues that um that are speaking to me in fact most that i'm choosing between a really religious person and a religious person uh and, so if yeah. you feel like no choice at all for these poor people and what are they debating oh they're debating putting in god we trust uh in <laughs> schools and one of them is debating whether or not it should be in the front of the school or in the back yeah. of the school and that's basically their choice and the freedom of a secular community also is we can speak about anything. And again, I know not all our communities will do this, but like if you want to talk about challenging whether capitalism is a good idea or not, like we could talk about that in our communities. Some of our communities could be anti-capitalist, right? Like we could talk about, uh, you know, getting rid of borders or, or living without gender as a label. Like these are radical conversations that we can and should be open to in our communities. We should be on the forefront, frankly. Um, I think our values and rational perspective demands that we be having those conversations. Uh, uh, but yeah, again, you got to feel out your community. You got to see where you're at. So I, I agree. I, 
especially the political. Yeah, but I almost feel like that's all the conversations we have been having. We just love conversations. We love to sit in the oh, you're right. of our oh, little yes, screens yeah, yeah. and just have the conversations. That's why even, like you said before, all of those really popular podcasts, they're, they're the equivalent of our sermons. They're just like, make me feel that cognitive ease because at work yes. I'm constantly being bombarded by this shit and I just need to feel as if I'm not the only person. And the problem is that's where it ends. Yeah, it ends yeah, yeah. there because you had your little cognitive need <laughs> fulfilled and you're just like, okay, well, we can't change the world. I've satisfied myself in terms of my needs, and then that's maybe, it. Maybe that's an identity change, right? Like I would call that an armchair atheist or an armchair humanist, right? Like the, or, a f- or a philosophy bro. Like we love the conversation, but actually doing anything about it uh, is, is clearly much harder. Uh, and so, well, we uh, tried, and it was humiliating and embarrassing in the early days, or we maybe. didn't go right, and we were a little. You know, like, oh, my God, that went horrible, and, so, and, and we just don't want to retry it, maybe. Like, there's but that's a lot what of I see, I see in the, me- the media and the conferences. But I think if you go down to the community level, like, I- I'm seeing all of this action that I think you're hungry for, and I think you'll, you'll enjoy speaking to more organizers. Because, you know, I know people organizing mutual aid networks in Florida and Maryland. You know, I, I know atheists who are like on the board of their LGBT center in, in California and I think are actually looking at what it means to organize as an atheist rather than what it means to think as with yeah. atheism. Um, but I, yeah, I, you're, you're on the same page as me. I'm just, and why I'm almost curious if we can label it better. Cause I don't identify anymore with the philosophy bro side of atheism that I did when I was 19, 20 or like, you know, I've I've been in a lot of dialogues with Christians and atheists who really want to still explore the ideas. I'm like, I, but I don't actually. It doesn't drive me the way our food distribution does or political organizing does. You know, like ending child marriage in California, like, will get me up in the morning. The way I, another conversation about whether uh, apologetics is important, like, just. But doesn't it doesn't yeah. it weird that that's what <laughs> like when you talk about we need to identify needs? That's the need. That's the need that yeah. overrides every other need. It's just like we're so traumatized by it intellectually that we're constantly trying to. Like, but I don't we, think we've we're heard trapped. the arguments before. It is a need, but it's we're not trapped there. I think if, if we think about it as a uh, a need in a moment of time rather than the only need, we'll open up much more right and and maybe it's it's a it's i think one it's just a habit it's a yeah. habit we gotta break well not break you can still have your little sermons or whatever and yeah. listen to the shows but i think it's time for us to stop saying that that's enough that we've just had yes. a cognitive fill and now i can just go to bed and not worry about it i'm like you, you gotta still worry about it so we actually made a conscious choice to move recovering from religion into our organization like it, we promote it as a big program and we put it over here because I think if you don't actually name it and give it its own space, the whole community becomes a recovering from religion discussion space. So the, the joke is if you want to talk about religion, join an atheist community because there's so much religious drama and that's what everyone needs to talk about sometimes. And our politics is so religious, so we have to talk about it. But in reality, the problem comes from religious trauma or religious politics, and we actually can silo those. And when you create space for those siloed conversations, you suddenly can create space for everything else that doesn't always have the baggage of the recovering from religion conversation. And I can suddenly say, this is our food distribution. You're not here to bash religion or discuss the trauma you have. You're here 
to serve meals, and we happen to be atheists. So when we, we go out to dinner, like those things can come up. But what I find is by the time we go out to dinner after five years, of, five hours of community service, everyone's just talking about their jobs and their kids and what they want to see in the world. And of course, Trump's an idiot or this or that, you know, like some political stuff's going to come up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think we can actually silo it in a good way rather than center it in everything we do. And it's taken time for us to learn that because our communities were founded as spaces. You know, some of our early founders of these groups, they needed that. They needed a place to just talk about all this religious trauma and uh, the philosophy that comes up every day. And like they, it becomes so everything politics all the time that you can't find the delight that also keeps you in the community and helps you enjoy the company of other people. And helps you Maybe what you need vulnerable. to do is identify – okay, so we talked – I hate, uh, obviously, sure. Scientology. But the one thing that I love <laughs> about the way they do things is their little bridge, okay? Their bridge to total freedom. Now, we need yeah. something similar where we identify, okay, year one to three yeah. of the new atheist experience. You're, you're like, you're not going to be a donor. You're too fucking stuck in, like, you know, <laughs> the trauma, the anger. Yeah. If I come to you and say, hey, man, can you donate to my organization? What organization? I just left one. And be like, forget these fucking guys. You need the five to seven year to 10 year. Okay. You got over the trauma. You tried all this stuff. Now it's time for you to look at, okay, what's the political meaning of it? Every one of your old episodes and Matt Delahunty's. Absolutely. No, I, I think you're onto something. So when people describe what is the community of atheists, the future of atheists United look like, what would a building look like if you bought it? I think everyone intuitively thinks it's going to look like a church, right? Like we're going to have events Mm -hmm. on Sundays and blah, blah, blah. Like, and I always kill that idea and I go, that's because you have like a theist normative perspective and you're still like thinking like the church you're from. I think we'll look and feel much more like LGBT centers, right? LGBT centers have senior groups and youth groups. They have like uh, sexual Events education groups. Like yeah. And, but like you can break up into sub communities and yet still be part of the whole. And and we are not big enough usually to be able to see what this looks like in our communities, right? Like the fact that New York City only has like two or three secular groups, like a city that big is like you can't break up into subgroups, right? The, the Los Angeles, we're talking about like three or four groups that you can join maybe. Um, so we can't create the level of sub diversity that I think you need to be able to kind of segregate some of those conversations. So right now – you show up at a Sunday assembly or an Atheist United in your city and the guy who's traumatized by religion and the third generation atheist who literally does not want to ever talk about that again and just wants to do service and maybe fight the religious right politically a little, like they're clashing into each other and just trying to own the same space. And so one idea we've had is like we should break up into as many small communities as possible. If you want to have that conversation Let's create a space for you to have it, but you shouldn't be able to force it on everyone else in the community. Um, and that's what happens in a lot of spaces. I, I've, I've, I've walked into so many spaces where, like, that guy, <laughs> we all know who that guy is, takes over the meeting, takes over the event. Um, and I think partially that's because he didn't have an outlet. Um, and so suddenly a woman with kids walks into the space and wants to talk about raising kids and this guy shouts over her about his experience with religion and how it's all toxic and, you know, what Matt Delhunty said this week. And she leaves the community and doesn't come back. So, um, but if she had a space to find other people like her and he found a space to find other people like them, they might come together for a massive party or a big political action, 
but they don't actually need to share the same space all the time. I don't think that's necessary. I think that's a religious idea. Yeah, well, we were trying it so hard to imitate them, right? Yeah. Thinking like, well, we, we lost something. Let's just do as much, get as much yeah, back as nah. possible. And then we'll, we'll, like, I think it was like, we'll whittle it away eventually and get to the core. And I'm like, I don't even think we want 99% oh. of what the fuck churches offer. Like, I we, think it's just, it, having a building is nice. Ta-da! Yeah. But again, like, <laughs> think like a center. You come together when you want to come together. You don't come together because you have to come together. Uh, again, this will work for some people. Sunday assembly works for a lot of people. But uh, I think most people, they actually want their vision of community. They want their vision of conversation, their vision of advocacy. And because we celebrate freedom, like what is atheism without freedom and liberation kind of centered? Um, I don't think we should ever force it. Uh, I think we have to convince people that it's valuable to you uh, and, and empower them to see themselves as empowered in, in these mm-hmm. dialogues and how they organize. So I, I again, I, I use it as a framing model for people of like, Let's not build a church where we gather on Sundays and tell everyone this is the ritual they have to do. Let's build a community center where they can build whatever subgroups they want, and those groups can work together or not, and we're going to come together for a political issue or a social issue or a really fucking cool party every now and then to where they can find each other. But, yeah, like, I I think a lot of retirement-run communities, they're always like, why don't we have the young people? And I'm like, because you don't want to throw the events that young people like, like. You would, you'd fall asleep by the time the party starts, Graps. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think you should be forced to go to beach volleyball and they shouldn't be forced to go to bingo. And that's okay. Like both events are valid for community. Um, but what happens is when you have communities that are modeled after religion, when you only have limited resources and programming space, what you essentially are doing are telling people the only way to participate in the community is to do X, Y, Z which is not freedom. That's, that's not the values I think most of us are actually looking for in these community spaces. So it's more challenging. To, we have to create more programs. We have to create more spaces. We have to break up into smaller and smaller groups. But it might actually fit the values we care about. It might actually be the, the secular or the progressive model of community that has always been the feature but it's seen as a bug sometimes because we're comparing ourselves to religion. We've got to get rid of that baggage. Yeah, well, and you also mentioned that the fact that it, this is a trillion-dollar space in which, you know, at 30, <laughs> 30% of the population of just of the United States, that's a huge, huge number. Let alone China yeah. or, you know, like – India. Or, yeah, India's got a huge a, secular community. Huge. Yeah. So, I, I mean – I mean, like, it it's, all, it's me wide open. open. It's wide open, right? This is the most under, so undersurfaced group – in the history of mankind, and we still haven't figured out a way to reach these people because one of the – maybe it's the feature or the bug, but it's just like it, there is a part of our nature that had to reject yeah. um, institutions, which now we carry forward, and that makes your job all the more challenging. And, and again, I think the importance of the institutions I'm working on now might come from the way our society structured, right? Like Norway isn't building a bunch of new atheist communities because they don't need them. You just join your local school board or neighborhood council, and that's your, like, secular community and your secular work. Democracy is a secular model for society, right? Like, we actually could do all of the things we want to do and be fully secular through a democratic system. The problem is the institutions of power 
aren't democratic right now. A lot of them are religious. And so we have to unfortunately create these like religious alternatives for atheists, right? Like you have to create the satanic temple to fucking fight the religious right um, because we've empowered religion. When you take away their power, they're going to have to compete on ideas and we have plenty of secular spaces to be fully secular people and do secular things. And we might model that completely different. We might not even have to use the word atheist and humanist anymore, right? We're going to be so post-religious, you don't need a recreation. But we don't live in that world in America. So it is funny. Some people don't understand why I'm what I'm doing because they just fast forward to like Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't live in Norway. We live in America. And it, again, if you go the other way, if you go to like Saudi Arabia, it's even more intense, right? Like you can't even organize the way we are because you'll literally be put to death. Um, but Saudi Arabia will move to where they can have some secular institutions and then ideally someday they can have a secular government. Um, but yeah, we're in this stage where until religious power is taken away, until the privilege is stripped back, we're going to have to create some alternatives. Otherwise you have nowhere to go, but religion sometimes for your food, for your housing, for your refugee help, like, And that's just fucked up. I think we can and should say it. That is fucked up. That has caused trauma and discrimination and and death and violence. And uh, we have to intervene. Well, Evan, it was a pleasure talking (laughs) to you for all this time. And I really hope that the people who are listening um, are going to get rid of that aspect of themselves that sort of like told them, no, I don't want to be like religion. And this sounds like the same old tropes. And, and there's, a, there's a lot at stake. There is, like you said before, Christian nationalists are going to be winning for the next, you know, two or three decades. Uh, we have to undo this now. Uh, and yeah. we won't even see the fruits of our labor during our time. We've got to plant the trees that our yep. sons and daughters are going to be enjoying the shade of. And, like, and how does that start? It starts by we're at a period of time now where patronage is at its height. There's no reason to now not... Put in a little bit of money where your fucking mouth is. And we're, we're competing against trillionaires, folks. Trillionaires. <laughs> it's going to be a tough fight. But I'm glad that you're in the fight. I think you've given me a little bit of hope. I was actually really thinking it was going to be another one of those rinky-dink um, little operations. But I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that you have the understanding, at least, of saying, we've got to do something different than what we've been doing before. It wasn't working. We've got to tap into aspects that religion has tapped in for a long time, but not do it in their awkward, in the awkward sort of ways that we've tried in the past. It's time for new approaches, and I'm excited to see what the yeah. uh, future of those approaches are. We will be checking back on you, sir, for your progress. <laughs> I, I need to know uh, more, and I will be providing links on to um, you know all of the programs that you guys are offering on the site as well. Um, Evan Clark, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. It was great. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. That was a great show, man. Cool. Let me hit stop recording. And then save it as a...